and welcome. This is the Radical Life Podcast, and today we're chatting with our Intuit module leader. Would you like to introduce yourself? Sure. Hello there, everybody. My name is Bridget Murphy. My pronouns are she and her and hers. And I currently live in Western Massachusetts, U.S., on Nipmuc and Pocumtuck territory. I am a transformational healer, and I help people to open up their consciousness so that mm-hmm. they can make the shifts that they need to really, truly, deeply heal. And I work with a lot of healers who are looking to open to the next level of their mm-hmm. life and their work in the world. So there's a variety of programs that I offer, one-on-one work that I do, and I really allow the work that I do to continue to evolve. Awesome. Uh, and I, I'm a, a cisgendered queer uh, person who uh, likes to um, really pay attention to my identity in the world and how it influences my work. And mm-hmm. so, um, sure, we're going to get we're going to get more into that. And yeah, um, happy to be here. Awesome. Thank you so much. I realize I also didn't introduce myself. So I'm Marina Patrice Bear, and I will be hosting today. Uh, My pronouns are they, them, and MP. And I am currently recording on the unceded lands of the Lene Lenape peoples. So thank you so much, Bridget, for the uh, quick overview of who you are, where you're coming from with your work in the world. I would love to, when we think about intuition, I'm often thinking about people's spiritual practices, like their personal practice. And I'm wondering if you would start by just sharing with us a little bit about what your daily practice looks like. Absolutely. Yeah, my daily practice is I spend a minimum of 10 minutes a day Mm -hmm. sitting and being in a space where I am connecting with myself, my guidance, my intuition, the spirits of the land that I live in or live on. Um, I do my regular routines of like getting up, making some coffee, getting a shower, and then I sit. Before I do any of my work or any sessions with clients, I sit. Um, Sometimes I play my drum. Sometimes I will sing. Sometimes I sit quietly. I don't put a lot of rules around what I do during that time. I, because I feel like that can be limiting. Mm-hmm. I'm committed to at least 10 minutes a day of doing, of having this space where I connect. And sometimes it's 10 minutes and sometimes it moves into 20 minutes or 30 mm-hmm. minutes, maybe even an hour. It depends on where I'm at and depends on what, what kind of time I have in that day. So it's consistent mm-hmm. and the timing and what I do in that time is fluid. I love that. Um, And I imagine that folks might be surprised, right? That you can have sort of a deep practice in 10 minutes. So I really, I love hearing that that's, you know, it can be that small. (laughs) I guess small is maybe a funny way to say that because I know big things can happen in 10 minutes, but I love the idea that like, it's not something that you have to carve out a huge chunk of your day or like delay until you have a lot of space to do it. So that's really encouraging to me. And I imagine also to folks that are listening. Uh, I am curious if you will share with us sort of how far back these practices go for you, or maybe when you first sort of became aware 
that you could, you know, um, tap into this guidance? Yeah, I will say that my practice has developed over time. I didn't always know what I know now. And I also did not have the context that I share, you know, that I share from now. Mm. So, um, my, my awareness around my intuition and my experiences around intuition started when I was young. Mm. I was naturally inclined as a baby to move myself into meditative states or what we would call altered states. Mm -hmm. At the time, my family didn't know really what I was doing. I had no conscious understanding. I just, uh, rhythm and movement and sound mm -hmm. were what soothed me. Mm -hmm. it my nervous system um, and moved me into a place where I was naturally connected through my imagination and daydreams to my intuition. Um, and so my memories of moving into meditative or altered states go back to when I was about three. <clears throat> my mom, when I asked her, you know, when did I start doing these things, which I'm happy to talk about, she said I was about 18 months old when I would move into these practices. That's really neat. I'm thinking, you know, my little one is almost 24 months old. And sometimes I do these like just things where I'm like, huh, where did they learn that? Right. Uh, and so I'm curious for you to tell us if you would a little bit more about sort of what this childhood practice looked like. Yeah. First, I want to say that when we're talking about our intuition, people put a lot of focus on mm. their third eye and their psychic abilities. And my experience is that intuition can be a full body experience. You don't need to activate your third eye in order to connect to your intuition. Mm -hmm. And so children naturally know how to move themselves into intuitive states. Mm -hmm. No one is naming it or talking about it a lot of times, but kids know because we come into the world with pretty much everything we need. Mm -hmm. Our bodies know how to heal themselves and we know how to connect with sacred forces. That isn't always encouraged, so we don't always follow through with it. And sometimes life circumstances pull us from our natural state. Yeah. And every child knows how to do this. By the time people get to the adult stage, they're remembering. Mm. They think they're learning it, but really they're just re remembering. So um, I just want to feel like that's important to share. Yeah, I really, I love you naming that, right? Because I often think about like, as we're learning things as adults, like I do, I feel like we're trying to relearn things that came in with us and sort of evaporated over time or were um, maybe even more... Um, specifically trained out of us right like some of them just didn't get deeply rooted and stay in our consciousness because we didn't practice them but some of them it was really like hey don't do that right and oh yeah yeah absolutely um my I was very colicky as a baby I cried mm -hmm. a lot and I had trouble sleeping and so um my mom would and my grandmother who lived with my family 
she would spend a lot of time trying to get me to take a nap, trying to get me to slow down because I moved around a lot. And my dad told me that one of the things that soothed me and helped me go to sleep was the sound of the um, Irish bagpipes. Huh. Now, Irish bagpipes are not necessarily like, um, you wouldn't think that they were a calming sound. Yeah. There was something about them for me that calmed me down. So music was helpful to me and soothed me from when I was little. Yeah. And then when I was about 18 months old, I would lay myself on the floor and I would move my head back and forth. I would roll my head back and forth for long periods of time. Huh. I wouldn't move my body. Yeah, just the head. My head back. I'm just trying it out for a minute just to like get a sense of what happens in my yeah. nervous system. Yeah, cool. Yeah, and I found a rhythm there. And I would mm -hmm. just, it would be natural. It wasn't forced. And any repetitive movement, specifically back and forth movement, oh. moves you into an altered state. If we were to all lay down on the floor or sit up and move our heads back and forth for a half an hour, we'd be in a meditative state. So that's what I would naturally do. Yeah. And I do believe that that was my soul's way of calming myself down. And when we're in a calm space and when our nervous systems are more relaxed, our intuition can be more active because our busy mind is quiet. Of course, at 18 months old, I didn't have a busy mind. I just was yeah. soothing myself. I do, but I, I think about how active, you know, young kids can be, right? And so maybe it was less a busy mind than just a busy, like there's so much like sensory stuff that you're taking in, right? I mean, I, I think that that continues throughout our life, but I think over time we learn how to like modulate it, right? And so I'm just imagining how, how relaxing that really could have been, just that sort of repetitive movement. And um, I think the other thing that strikes me is just that your family left you alone to do it, right? Like it, I think about how often people want to like intervene if something seems like, why are you doing that, right? Um, and so I think that's really... Um, I don't know. I think that's pretty special that like, you know, you got to like have this thing that was your own intuitive way of soothing yourself and that the people around you trusted you <laughs> to, to do that for yourself. There were lots of things that they didn't let me do, but they did let me, cause I think that I was so active and loud and energetic that when I was rolling my head back and forth, I was quiet, I wasn't bothering anybody. I think they thought it was weird, but it wasn't hurting anything. And it's, I seemed to like it, so they just let me do it. Yeah. And I, I continued that. to do it. I continued to do it. And when I got to be about seven or eight, I would play, put the radio on and listen to music while I did it. And then my sister, who's two years younger than me, she started doing it with me. Mm. And I didn't know that everybody that other people didn't do this. I thought everybody did it. And so when we got to school, we realized, oh, we're the only ones that are doing this. So we didn't tell anybody about it. Um, we did it through, I think, I mean, my sister would be a little upset for me to tell this, but we did this up until we were teenagers. And then we decided it was time to stop. Very soothing, totally yeah. activated our intuition and put us in um, a relaxed state. Yeah, I it's that's so interesting to me, both the I mean, a couple of things you said there, right? Like that just the 
we did this and we didn't know everyone else didn't do this, right? It was so like natural for you, right? That it just felt like part of the human experience, which I think is really neat. And then, you know, behind that, I um, I had some joy that like you did this together. And then I, I felt a little like sadness float through when you were like, and then we became teenagers and we decided like we shouldn't do it anymore because I really like I, I can feel like the connection to my teenage self, right? And that like, uh, that social pressure, right? And that like, so I just, I think that's a really powerful like thing to be able to like see a name in your experience, right? To be able to say, hey, we did this. And then, so I'm curious, um, how did your practice shift then? Like, did you still have a way that you actively connected with your intuition as a teenager and how did it shift? Well, there was probably a very short gap of maybe a couple of years where I didn't do that practice. Mm. And I'm not sure what I, if I, what practice I did because as a teenager, I don't know. I was busy being a teenager, I guess. For sure. But at about, probably at about 17, I had a, um, an awareness around being on the planet for a purpose and helping the planet. Mm -hmm. And so soon after, I found spiritual practices. And um, in my early 20s, I found my teachers. And at about 20 years old, 19 or 20, I started to going to different uh, circles and gatherings and events where there was live drumming mm-hmm. and the drumming is what I moved into. I learned how to drum. I learned how to play an African drum and a frame, frame drum. And I started to engage in practices where I would work with rhythm and movement through the sound of the drum and through moving my body. Mm-hmm. So it was only a couple of years I think went by before I found another practice that would help me move into those states. Yeah. Yeah. I love that. And it's interesting to me um, that they are both like movement based practices, right? Just as a, I'm just noting, noting my awareness of this. Um, Yeah. Cool. Um, And I'm curious then when you found your teachers, sort of what was that experience like for you maybe early on? Yeah. So I think I found my, I discovered my shamanic teachers around the same time that I found a Reiki teacher. Mm -hmm. And um, I, my intuition works in a way where I just know that I need to connect with somebody, work with them, follow them, learn from them. And I will, often feel compelled to when there's something that is going to be right for me i am compelled to do it and so my shamanic teachers i met them at a an event a a earth-based spiritual event it was either in west virginia or pennsylvania somewhere and i took a workshop that they were offering and i just felt them i felt that they were real they were honest they were true they were living um and Mm. still live a path that is very connected to the sacred and so i took a workshop with them and continued to take workshops with them 
and a relationship developed between myself and my teachers. And it's, I'm still 28 years, no, 24 years later, still connected to my teachers. One of them has crossed over and is no longer on the planet. The other one, I, I'm still in communication with her and I still work with her. Mm, I love that. Thanks for yeah. sharing that. I, I just, um, like in hearing that, I can feel the the fabric of connection between you um, and it feels warm to me. Like, I'm like, oh yeah, I can. Yeah. Um, yeah, so I'm curious, um, we talked for a moment before we started recording, right? About sort of what it's like when you first start um, on your spiritual path and there's like some comparison or like the, you know, am I doing this right? Will you speak to that a little? Yes. Yeah. I, I, this has been such a journey for me and to know me now, you wouldn't, I'm very, I'm definitely more confident and comfortable and sure mm -hmm. than I was 25 years ago. And so in the beginning when I was, I was, I had been pulled toward making a difference on the planet and I was learning a lot about spiritual practice, learning about my own connection with my soul. And I did feel like for a long time, like I, I wasn't doing it right. I needed, I wasn't, wasn't experienced enough. Other people did it better. Um, and that I think is a common experience when we start anything, mm -hmm. particularly with spiritual and intuitive practices, because the people who are teaching things seem to have a lot more experience and we don't get to see them when they were in the beginning of their yes. lives. So there's this sort of um, perception that humans have that yeah. everyone always knew everything. And so I didn't, I yeah. doubted things for a long time and I grew into a relationship with my own intuition. And so early on, I would ask for messages and I would mm -hmm. ask for signs. And it didn't always, I felt like I should be having these really clear signs. Like I should, they should be so super clear that I think should drop out of the sky. And they were dropping out of the sky. Well, every once in a while, something would drop yeah, out of the sky. Exactly. That's rare. Um, so I remember asking, I would always ask. I don't ask anymore for signs because the whole world, I feel like my whole path is one big sign. Um, I remember that I was asking the sacred forces or spirit, whatever you want, however you want to word it, to show me a sign that I was on the right path. And I feel my experiences is that we get signs that pull us more um, further onto the path instead of telling us giving us direct um, information all the time. And so I was told, I heard, and I heard this in multiple occasions, that I should follow the smoke down the road. And at the time I was like, what the heck is this? Follow the smoke down the road. Thanks a lot. Like that doesn't help me. That doesn't tell me anything. That's not validating at all. Mm -hmm. And one of the things that I have learned about intuition and guidance is, is that it doesn't make sense all at once. Sometimes it's confusing. Sometimes it makes no sense at all. And we need to trust mm -hmm. that what doesn't make sense now will reveal itself and make sense along the path. 
I feel like that's where a lot of the true learning is in the trust. And so follow smoke down the road made no sense until I realized that a lot of the practices that I was involved in, invo involved in were connected with ceremonial fires. And I kept being drawn to people and practices and events where there was a sacred fire that was lit and tended. Mm -hmm. And I felt the most passion and connection to my soul around the fire. And so I was in my early, probably mid-20s when I got that message and it continued. And now, 20 years later, I, I work even more deeply with fire. And following the smoke down the road was um, a message that was telling me to keep following the fire. Yeah. Yeah. But I didn't know it then. I was just thinking about some of the most important, yeah, like messages I've received in my own life, right? That like we really only understand them in retrospect because like until they've unfolded, right? There's like, I think at least in my experience, and you'll tell me if this is similar for you, um, there's like enough of a, there's something interesting in the thing, even if you don't understand it, right? Where it's like, okay, I'm going to trust that like that will still unfold, right? Right. Like it's maybe you're like, well, I don't see the smoke right now. I'm not on a literal road in this moment. Right. But it was interesting enough that it like sort of planted a seed. And then, you know, you can sort of see how it ripples out as time passes. Right. Which I think is really neat. Yes, it is really neat. Like especially I think and I don't want to go like super far off track there, but like I'm thinking about like just the way that we think about time. Right. And really, if we think about it in a, like, like a circle and a cycle of time, as opposed to a, a line of time, like all of those things are happening at the same time. Right. And so it's like, you're getting that guidance and it's unfolding, but it's also already unfold, like in my belief, you know? And so I'm curious if that aligns in any way with the way you think about things. Yeah, I do. I do believe that time is more circular, circular, um, cyclical, um, yeah. and almost like a spiral versus linear and so yeah there are many things in my experience that are happening simultaneously um, this could we could go down a rabbit hole here yeah <laughs> i was like well i'll say this but we don't have to spend all of it yeah say as much or as little about that as you would like that's probably another podcast. Yeah. And yeah, I do think that I, that there are things that we, I, I feel like there are multiple possible realities that we could step into. Mm -hmm. And um, if we imagine something or experience something, um, it exists somewhere, even if we haven't fully experienced or learned to understand what it is. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I can feel that. Yeah. I'm going to just sit with it for a second. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I think I'm complete on that thought. I think if I, if I, I think if I take you any further into that thought, yeah, we, we might not come back to my other thoughts, but uh, it is, it's planting, you know, like, just like, hmm, I'm going to think about that some more later. Uh, I'm curious if you would share with us about a time where your intuition sort of was persistent or um, 
maybe unexpected, but sort of like nudged you in a way? Is there something like that you want to share with us? Yeah. Well, I'm thinking of, I'm thinking of a time where my intuition, I mean, my intuition, I can physically at times feel something pull me. Mm -hmm. And um, I remember a time that I saw a um, weekend, or it was more than a weekend, it was a workshop experience that was somebody created an event on or an email. I got an email or saw something online. And it was I live in Massachusetts. This event was like five days. It was in Kentucky. It was happening in like, I don't know, a couple of weeks. And I felt compelled, like I had to go. I had no idea what this event was. I had no idea what they were doing. I just knew I needed to go. And my rational mind was like, what the heck, Bridge? You are not in a place to like take all this time off. You have to fly. How are you You supposed to bring a tent? How can I bring a tent on the plane? It was this whole thing. And I just knew I needed to go. And it turned out that there was a spot open for me. I was given an opportunity. I mean, there were all these things that fell into place and I could go. And it was one of the most transformative experiences. Um, and I'm still working off that experience years later. And it was a deep knowing that I have to go to this event. Yeah. I love that. And I, um, I really am sitting with just the fact that you have cultivated this relationship over time, right. With your intuition that like, you can hear a call and go, well, I'm like looking at it. It doesn't make sense, but like trusting it, right. It unfolds. And I'm wondering if you want to say any more about that specific transformational experience, or if maybe you would like to share about another sort of uh, intuitive moment where following that intuition really like led to a transformational unfolding. Yeah, that one definitely led to a transformation. There was, um, there were, it was a group, it was a group sort of a training that was mm. an experiential experience. And there were facilitators, there were people who were facilitating this event that did something that's called shadow work. Mm. And shadow work, people are talking about shadow work and like throwing that word out all the time. These people, are, were trained in something very specific that was developed by uh, and is trademarked and was developed by a therapist. And so they led us at, as a group through a large process and then we all were given the opportunity to do an individual shadow work process where we were able to see parts of ourselves that we couldn't see on our own. And that was incredibly transformative because as someone who's on a spiritual path, I am aware of like my, um, the influences in my life that led me to where I am. I'm, I'm aware of the trauma that I walk with and the effects of this and that and my family stuff. And this experience helped me to see that I was, It helped me to see the parts of me that I didn't have access to. And I didn't even know I didn't have access to. It wasn't like, yeah, so we'll, I think we could probably leave it there because that's a, yeah. big, a whole nother long thing. For <laughs> sure. I just, I heard a couple of things in there that really struck me. Um, and 
I think it was um, the definition of shadow there, right? Of like being able to see parts of yourself you couldn't see. I really, that feels very different for me than a lot of the language I've heard around shadow work where it's like you're diving into your dark stuff or like it's, you know what I mean? Where it's like, it does often feel like it's like, this is like repressed trauma pieces or whatever, right? And the way that you framed that as just people helping you see things you hadn't seen, I just, that, that really resonates with a lot of the work that I'm doing in my own life right now in work that we wouldn't call shadow work specifically, right? But that I think is really, uh, I just, I'm reflecting for myself for a moment on like the most transformational experiences in my life have been when someone has like, opened a door I didn't know was there, right? Has like brought like an understanding or a learning or even just like being a few steps further ahead of me on a particular path where like they show me a thing or they say a thing and I'm like, oh, I just didn't have access to that before. I didn't even know that I wasn't thinking about that, right? Or I didn't even know that I wasn't seeing that. And I think that for me, that framing makes shadow work feel really like much more accessible than I have ever heard it in a way before. Like there's a, yeah, there's an invitation there. I think that um, feels different to me just as like, a, hmm, I'll keep that back there as well. Like as just a different way to think about things. So. Yes. Yeah. And yeah. for that offering, just deep, like even just languaging is really important to me. Yes. Yeah. You're welcome. Yeah. Thank you. Um, let's see what else I want to talk about here. Um, I would love to know, I think there is a lot of talk about being an empath and like, you know, um, in some of the circles, I'm going to hear a lot about like highly sensitive people. And I'm wondering if you want to talk about if there is a relationship there to intuition and sort of what that looks like, um, how they're linked to each other. Yes. Um, I feel like the word empath is used a lot and also there's this idea that to be empathic means you're going to suffer because you're feeling everybody else's feelings. And that doesn't need to be true. Mm -hmm. Most empaths suffer, not because they're sensitive, but because they haven't learned how to work with and manage their own energy. So they experience that they are beholden to other people's stuff. Mm -hmm. and it doesn't have to be that way. So a lot of people who are empathic are also really intuitive and have an ability to connect in with their own knowing, but because they don't know how to access it, they don't. They get stuck in the loop of feeling everybody else's stuff and they're not actually able to use their sensing abilities in their favor. Mm -hmm. So. I help people to work with their energy and do what I call manage their energy or be in command of their energy yes. so that their stuff is in check. Our stuff, my stuff is in mm -hmm. check so that I can tend to and engage with my intuition. So yes, sensitive people and empaths can be very intuitive. Sometimes they are afraid of it or they're not connected to it because they're they don't know how to work with their own energy or abilities. That makes a lot of sense to me. And I will just speak from the people in my experience and my own experience that like, I feel like often people will call themselves empaths and, and maybe are quite empathic, but use the words when they don't have great boundaries, both like 
in relationship, but also literally just like have not yet developed the capacity to have energetic boundaries. Right. And so then they're getting more information. Like for me, that was really transformational, really to be able to like figure out how to find my energetic boundary where I could let the things in that I wanted and keep the things that I didn't at bay. And that meant that I could come into and out of that deeper relationship with people like consciously and on purpose. Right. And I do, I think it was my own intuition that I really had to develop in order to be able to find that boundary. Uh, so that's interesting. I think we're having a similar experience there of that. Um, and I, I love sort of what I heard there that, that what shifted a thought for me was just this idea that like, um, not everyone who is empathic is actually using their intuition skillfully, right? Um, and so I'm curious because a lot of people are self-proclaimed empaths, um, I think it can make other people feel like maybe that's a thing that um, only some people are. And so I'm curious if you'll speak to your thoughts and beliefs about if um, everyone is intuitive or not. Yeah, I think everybody has, everybody has intuitions. It's built into us. Mm. Some folks, many folks don't have any encouragement to cultivate their intuition. And then comes in this belief that you have to have a special ability in order to be intuitive. Mm -hmm. When really slowing down, tuning into yourself and the energies around you, which is something our, our modern mainstream Western world doesn't teach us to do, slowing down and coming into yourself helps you to naturally tap into your intuition. There's nothing glamorous about it. There's nothing super special about it. And it's one of the hardest things for humans in the West to do. Slow down and be with yourself. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So I think that above any other open your third eye workshop yeah. is, is that you could take is what is really important. And slowing down and having some patience so that you can shift your awareness and be open to the information that's already there, to the energy that's already there. It's all already there. It's, it's a matter of breathing, slowing down and just shifting our lens. Yeah. Yeah. I love that. Um, I have this image of sort of just there always being like layers of information, right? Some of it seen and some of it unseen. And then, you know, the things that we see, uh, my partner and I like to take walks a lot and um, he's a lot taller than I am. And so like often he'll just like see something that like I hadn't seen, right? And he'll like call something out and I'll be like, I would not have seen that without help. Like, right, like it's just in a different space than where my line of sight was, right? Yeah. And uh, that image is coming to me when I'm thinking about this idea of slowing down and seeing the things that are, that are always there, right? And that are, um, you know, more or less interesting depending on how much space we have to engage with them, right? But, yes. but that that slower pace like really does make a lot of things that are already available to you more accessible. Yeah, that's really just, a, I'm just sitting with it for a minute, you know, like, um, yeah. All right. So we talked a little bit about the relationship between intuition and empathy or being an empath. And I'm also curious um, 
about how you might describe the relationship between intuition and guides and ancestors? Um, you know, are they the same thing? Or are they related? How would you describe that to folks? Yes, I will first say that this answer, the answer to this question, comes out differently depending on what your cultural experience and background is. <laughs> so I share from my lens. There are other people's lenses and other cultural lenses to look through, and none of them are right or wrong. Mm -hmm. um, I believe that our, our sense of knowing is connected to our souls. And information comes from the soul into the human or merges with the human or is accessible by us as humans because we are connected to something that is larger than us, uh, the soul. Mm -hmm. And some people have a different way to look at this. This is my lens. So me as a human, I've got my body, my energy field, my heart, my mind, and my soul. My soul is tapped into larger knowing mm -hmm. that I may not even be aware of. And my soul filters that knowing to me or the pieces of that, pieces of that to mm -hmm. me. Okay. So all of that said, are we all have guides and guidance for some people their guidance is an inner compass that comes from their gut and their heart. It doesn't take on the face of or isn't perceived as a guide or an outside force. And for other people, it is very much, their guidance is very much perceived and experienced as an outside force that works with them. All of it is good. All of it is the all of this, sorry, there's a dinger on one of the appliances here. Yeah, let's wait for a minute so that I don't miss that thought. Um, all right, go. All of, all of, all of it is, it's all really connected and inter intertwined. And so for some folks who have a cultural background, a spiritual background, or a religious background that includes specific deities, mm. specific, um, I mean, deities, angels, higher beings, whatever you want to call it, the information comes through those beings to the human. And um, that's part of like how people are raised and trained in their spiritual and religious practices. And for some folks, they're not raised or trained like that. Um, so developing a relationship with their guidance may include connecting with guides and healing, what we call healing spirits in um, earth-based practices or shamanic practices. All of it is connected. It's not all the same thing. Mm -hmm. It's all connected. And I say, if it works, roll with it. I remember early in my training with my shamanic teachers, when, when I would have, there would be people in the workshops who would have like these angel forces come and they could describe them and they would talk to them or they would have like ancestors come in and they could see them and talk to them. And I, I wouldn't have a lot of those 
energies come through in the same ways. And I thought, well, I'm just not getting it. And I remember my teacher said, your guides are so connected with you that you receive information from them and you don't even realize that it's coming where it's coming from because you're so connected with them. And I was like, wow, that's really, really interesting. Mm -hmm. So there's different ways to experience guides and work with them. And some people really experience them as separate beings. Yeah. And some people don't. It really depends on your makeup. Mm -hmm. yeah. yeah. And it sounds like either way, that's it's all intuition, right? It's it's still a channel that like you have to be receptive to, right? And to me, that channel is the intuition. So yeah. whether it's like your ability to perceive and know that that's um, the word that came to me was like sort of like the right guide to interact with and I was like that's not quite the language I want to use but like that um, you know I think there are lots of people moving through the world right and I believe that we all came with like you know um, folks that guide us whether that's you know like you're saying closely integrated or whether that's you know and so I think that to me, that piece where intuition comes in is this idea that like, you know, which, which of those things to tap into, right? Like, you know, what's for you for lack of a better, you know what I'm trying to say there? Yes. Yeah. yeah. And in some people's um, experience, they receive and, and, and experience information and guidance solely from in their mm -hmm. internal mm -hmm. self. Yeah. And for some people, they experience their guidance coming from outside of themselves. All of it is perfect. All yeah. of it is perfect. Our worldview and our understanding and experience of those spiritual forces or lack of spiritual forces yeah. definitely informs how we connect and how we receive information. Yeah, I love that. Thank you for that. Yeah. Um, I'm curious. Um, just because it's a passion of mine, right? Um, is this sort of intersection of queer identity and how it shapes, um, I'm particularly interested in how it shapes spirituality and the way we move through the world. And I'm wondering if you have thoughts or a perspective on that that you want to share. Yeah, well, There's a lot, I think there's a lot to talk about here. Yeah. I feel like in the, um, in the, some of the mainstream religions mm -hmm. and in spiritual, like modern mainstream spiritual practices, there can be a real um, sort of heteronormative focus mm -hmm. and um, a real focus on the binary there can be a focus on the good and the bad the black and the white the god and the goddess the feminine the masculine and for me being queer moves me outside of that binary and that heteronormative thinking and so my seeing of the world, the invisible world, the spiritual world, what I see and how I see it is filtered or vice versa, 
through my understanding that mm -hmm. things are not binary and not everything is the way that the mainstream tells us it should be. So, yeah, so I'm not exactly sure that I can completely explain this because a lot of it is internal. Yeah. Um, I can say that I don't look at connecting with spirit or the sacred forces from that, uh, from a mainstream lens. Yeah. 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 That makes I, think sense. I think it could be a little challenging to explain. Yeah. Um, growing sure. up and, and seeing and it being exposed to um, Christian religions, there's not a lot of room for um, queer people in Christian religion. Mm -hmm. There can be acceptance in some sort of circles and ways, but there isn't really room for um, queer people. And so it can be really challenging for a lot of people to, to experience religion or be religious and also be queer or gay. Mm -hmm. And I think that um, I, personally, I feel like spirituality doesn't know a gender. Spirituality and your spirit like doesn't care what your mm -hmm. orientation is. And that I feel like queer people seek practices that um, are going to include them. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, I, I love that. Uh, the way you concluded that thought, like that really brought it together for me. Yeah. Um, because I do, I often think that one of the greatest superpowers of being queer is uh, finding spaces, right? where uh where when we find places where we can be fully ourselves like i feel like there's a real like deep tap in both to ourselves and to everyone else in that space um yeah 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 well and i'll tell you so i have been involved in the spiritual and wellness industries <laughs> mm -hmm. for i mean the last almost 30 years and what I see in the spiritual and wellness industries, and it is changing now, it is mm -hmm. shifting because the times are changing us. I see a lot of straight white people, yeah. including many white straight cisgendered men who are teaching spirituality. And there's not a lot of, there's not a lot of front facing leaders in the spiritual and wellness industries, or there haven't been mm -hmm. who are black, indigenous, queer, trans mm -hmm. people, or people who are differently abled. We don't see that front facing in the spiritual industries. Now, of course, behind the scenes, we've had it going on for a long time yeah. and in the mainstream what is put out there in the media and the book the publishing companies is not very diverse it's not very diverse and so um i see that as changing and i see it as really there's really a necessary 
uh, shift that needs to occur. And it is occurring. Yeah. Um, but if you look at, and this is going down a rabbit hole, but I think it's important with intuition because intuition is connected with spirituality, wellness, all of that. When you look at a lot of the books and the movies and the professional in the books, the movies, the media, there's not a lot of diversity or hasn't been a lot of diversity in who is presenting these things. Yeah. I think that that is a hundred percent spot on about the lack of diversity. And I think uh, when you use the word industry, you really hit on why, right? Because what is, who is profitable? What is profitable? What will sell? Right. I think is, yes, it's very normative and I do think it's shifting. And I think one of the things that has been, such a like gift to me is really being able to be in queer and trans only spaces, right? In affinity spaces where I do really feel like um, I get to have a different and fuller experience of my spiritual, of my whole self, right? Not just my spiritual identity, but like a, a more whole um, experience because I'm not, you know, masking so much or like so guarded about you know what is acceptable and I um it's my hope that we will continue to see more and more um folks be open about the parallels for them like where their queerness and their spirituality come together right um and that will um yeah that, that there will be more and more spaces where folks can connect in that way um and also I'll say like I think that um for me, even the way that I connect with myself and my own intuition feels just like queer by nature and um, or by its nature. And I think that that, um, yeah, I think that that is important in and of itself, right? Like there is a way for me that like queerness doesn't make me feel like it has to look a specific way because I already know that like I am not like a lot of the things <laughs> right? That the way I've been told that things look and I know I'm having this experience. And so it, yeah, th there is a tremendous amount of space that opens up there for me. Uh, yeah, I experience, and I can't speak for all, I can't speak for everyone. Yeah. I can say that I experience a lot of queer folks um, learning how to be or naturally being in their bodies and not denying the humanness of their bodies, of their sexuality, of their experience. And that way of being is connected to spirituality. Mm -hmm. It is in the whitewashed, mainstream, Western, capitalistic, all the mm -hmm. things sort of culture that we have made spirituality be from here up. Open your heart, open your third eye. Right. Connect with the universe. There, our bodies are really important in our spirituality. Yes. And so queer people, am I, I don't want to put everybody in a box, and many queer people are tuned into their, their bodies in ways that straight, cisgendered folks just aren't. Not everybody, but a lot of people. And so- No, I think that's true. And I think some of that is because we're navigating being in those bodies right like it's not always like an easy journey but I think it is a yes like I think there is a inherent navigation that has to happen um as a queer person moving through the world and you know uh for myself as a trans person moving through the world right like there's a 
a navigation that has to happen with the body where there's just no way for it to long-term be separate, right? Um, that's and for me, that really has been some of the most powerful spiritual work is just coming to terms with having a body, right? Like, like that's, a, that's a whole, that could be another whole podcast too. Yes. Yeah. Yes, I believe, and a lot of people believe that spirituality is about our whole being. Mm -hmm. It's not just some connected state that we put ourselves in. It's about everything is spiritual. Mm -hmm. Our work, our social just, our stance on social justice, our participation in activism—it's all spiritual. Mm -hmm. And and I've seen in a lot of like modern white-centered you know, culture and philosophy, spirituality is about rising above the physical and ascending. And if you ever want to do a podcast on ascension, you let me know. <laughs> I've got a lot to say about that. <laughs> Does it have anything to do with staying grounded here so that you can actually take care of the people who need, like, who need your presence in this space? Because I could go on about that for a while. Yes, that's a whole, I don't want to pull us off track. Yeah, no, I think that that's great. I, I appreciate that. And I think that, um, I mean, I think you've hit on something really important about spiritual bypassing that I just want to make sure we name here, right? Which is that, like, there is no way to liberate the self <laughs> while we're oppressing other folks. <laughs> and we're all, you know, in this soup and we have roles here that we have played and we get to unpack those and figure out how to do less harm. And, you know, in the course of that, you know, I believe that is where the transformation of our spiritual journeys happens. Yeah. Um, yeah. And if we look at any older, and some people like the word ancient, I don't know that I would go ancient, but some people like that word, um, practices, spiritual practices, philosophies, belief systems, it's all connected. It's all connected. It's impossible to separate it out. What, what the mainstream white culture does is they cherry pick ideas and concepts mm -hmm. and then try to create a spirituality out of that. And from that standpoint, it's really easy to look at anything physical as being unspiritual. And that's part mm -hmm. of the disease and the infection <laughs> of the patriarchy, yeah. really. It's filtered into spirituality and the way people have access or perceive spirituality yes. in indigenous cultures and in deep cultures that have deep rooted spiritual practices. The connection between the mind and the body and the community yes. is all implied and it's understood. Yeah. I really love the way that you named that as a trio, the mind, the body, and the community, because I, like, I, I can feel that in my body, um, the, the importance of that. And like, I just had a little like, ah, yes, like I can feel that like come together. Um, yeah. So I asked you to talk about one of my favorite identities, but I'm curious, like if there's any other, um, you know, aspect of your identity that feels like you want to pull it out and talk about it right now. Yeah, I think a good, I think a good topic and also a hot topic is um, probably, well, I mean, there's a couple actually. Yeah. So I'm already mentioned myself as a, uh, a white, white woman. 
white person. Um, and also I come from a working class background. My parents are, we're working class people. Mm -hmm. So the, that, that's probably a good piece. Mm -hmm. I think really helps to inform the way that I teach and what I share because my family has historically, they're very practical, they're very on the ground, they're very mm -hmm. warm and loving and present and um, they have a foundation of like getting shit done. Mm -hmm. And so I see the world through a lot of their lenses yeah. and the way that spirit or the sacred forces move through me is everybody gets to have a spiritual practice. It's everybody gets to have it. There is nobody who is more or less entitled mm. to it than anybody else. And it doesn't have to be hard. It can be easy yeah. and accessible. And so the way that spirit moves through me is in a way that people can, anybody can understand. I don't teach real big mysticism and mystical concepts so that you're like, what the heck is she talking about? Mm -hmm. I give you practices that are easy to do that shift your consciousness and you, you don't have to like study for 20 years or have some sort of perfect meditation yes. to get where you want to go. And I do believe that a lot of that comes from the way that I was raised practical, being in service and making it real. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that is yes. definitely, yeah. That brings me sort of back to that circle at the beginning, right? Of like, it can be a 10 minute practice, right? Um, and just, yeah, like that in and of itself to me really speaks to like sort of the practical nature of like making space for it to fit in your life, right? It's like, it's not accessible for a lot of people to spend an hour plus like in their day, like meditating, right? But like, I loved that you named some really small, like, you know, you could move or you could drum for like 10 minutes and then like you've had this opportunity wow. to tap in. Um, so I feel like that's a great illustration of what you're saying there. Um, I would also just sort of love to like sort of circle us back specifically to like the radical life topic uh, and ask you if you have any thoughts you want to share about like, what is your vision for a, rad a radical life? Well, I think that all humans, all right, maybe all, maybe all is too grand. Most humans can live a radical life. Many won't because the, the, perhaps that's not their path or their choice, or maybe they don't even know, or don't have access to understanding what radical life is. Mm -hmm. um, I believe that we can choose how we want to walk in the world. We cannot choose what we, you know, what race or class or culture we have been born into. Um, and we cannot, but we, and we can choose how we want to walk in the world. We can choose that. Um, and so I believe that the, having a radical, walking a radical path is a choice and that, um, through learning, um, 
how to be different in the world or how to be connected to yourself mm-hmm. in the world, you can live a radical life. And so what is my vision? My, I really think that all of the work that everyone is doing at Radical Life is giving people access to tools that they need in a way that they can receive them so that they can live a life that they want to be living. Mm-hmm. And that I think is like one of the best things that we could do is live a life that we want to be living. Yeah. How many people are living a life that they don't actually want to be living? They're just going through the motions. So the tools that come through um, radical life help us do that. Yeah, I appreciate that. Um, I'm wondering as we wrap up here, if you want to say anything about sort of how you came to be connected to the Radical Life Project. Um, yeah, and what that has, what experience has been like for you? Sure. So I'm connected to the Radical Life through the um, creator, the founder of, mm-hmm. of Radical Healing, Amanjot Singh Khalsa. I met him in my early 20s. We've done a lot mm. of our trainings, our shamanic trainings, and our life world experiences together. Yeah. And so I absolutely respect and honor his path and the way he walks in the world, as well as um, the therapeutic work that he does with clients. Yeah. And so when he um, when he decided to create Radical Life and asked me if I wanted to be on board, it was a no-brainer for me. I love the opportunity to work with him. We mm-hmm. I've worked with some of his therapeutic clients in different settings. I've taught some with him, and I just love working with him. So that's how I'm here yeah. and why I said yes to being a to being in this community. Yeah, I love that. Thanks for sharing. It was really a treat for me when I met Manjot to um, find out that there were still so many people in his life that he's known for like 25 or 30 years that have like sort of carried through, right? Um, And I I just like, it was just, I had a moment of like enjoying the two, like the two of you in your 20s as like a, yeah, I think it's really a treat to, I don't know that, a lot of us have the experience of having people that we walk with for a long time through our lives yes. um, that are not specifically like intimate partners. Yes. And so I think that it really has been a treat for me to get to to meet some of um, Mandrut's community and particularly like longtime friends. So what a um, what a gift I think really that he has brought us like yes. together. Um, awesome. Well, I have really enjoyed this conversation and I'm wondering if you're feeling complete or if there's anything else that you're thinking you want to just share before we close out our conversation. I feel, I feel really good. Thank you for inviting me. Yeah. Inviting me into this conversation. It feels really good. Thank you. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for your time. It really has been a gift. Thank you. Thank you for joining us. Head over to our website at Radical.life to sign up for your free Radical Life Starter Kit. Our website is R-A-D-I-K-A-L dot L-I-F-E. 
The Radical Life Podcast is produced by me, Marina Patrice Bear, and edited by Cassidy Bear. Our theme music was created by Mark Meezy. Radical Life is a co-creation with Manjot Singh Khalsa and Radical Healing. Connect with us on social media, Radical with a K. We're on Instagram at Radical underscore life underscore 22 and Facebook at Radical Life.